You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. It is a privilege to open God's Word today. Um, we are in the second message in 1 Thessalonians in our series, Now and Forever, Living in Light of Christ's Return, or Living for Christ's Return, rather. Um, and this morning, I would invite you to open up your Bible right off the bat and head to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, just put your hand up. We've got ushers coming down right now that are eager to get a copy in your hand so that you can follow along with us this morning. Um, this morning, we are going to be digging into this portion of Scripture, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And last week, Pastor Andy uh, set the scene by kind of laying out the, the context for the book of 1 Thessalonians. And he shared with us from Acts 17, which really lays out how the gospel came to this place of Thessalonica. And the gospel came to Thessalonica amid much persecution. And last week, Andy said a, a, a number of things, but one of the things that he said is that the gospel comes with hostility. So when the gospel goes forward, there is hostility around that, but not only that, the gospel moves forward and there is salvation. And we praise God for that. And this morning, we are going to look at how the gospel actually goes forward. What does it look like to have an authentic gospel witness in our world today? The Apostle Paul addresses this in this portion of Scripture, and here in chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, you know, he lays out on, on one hand kind of a defense of his ministry, but then on the other hand, he actually lays out an example for authentic gospel ministry, what it should actually look like in his day and in our day today. And so the message this morning is, is called Authentic Gospel, The Message and the Messenger. And we're going to see how both of these pieces are vastly important to the gospel going forward in the world today. The message of the gospel, clarity on what that is, and clarity on what the actual true gospel message is, and then also the disposition, the attitude of the messenger, what that actually looks like in our lives today. And so I just want you to think for a second um, about the, the church today around the world, and today, you know, in the, in the church around the world, especially in the Western world, there's a lot of different models for ministry out there, a lot of different models for how we should do church and, you know, what our priorities should be. And I just want you to kind of think through a few of them, and this is an important backdrop for where we're going to go in the message today. So just think about some of the, the common and um, popular models that we would see around the Western church today. Uh, the first model that comes to mind is, is probably the church growth movement, okay? The church growth movement. We don't call it that a whole ton, but the church growth movement is kind of this idea of you basically take the lowest common denominator, you try to figure out what people want to hear, and you speak that message, you orient everything around that message. The most important things for a church that's focused on church growth is three things. They all start with B, um, bodies in seats, buildings, and budgets. As long as you hit those three areas, you're, you're doing it, okay? You've made it, and you're excelling according to the church growth movement. 
Well, there's some serious problems with that. Um, The church growth movement tends to focus more on a feel-good message rather than a deeply true life-changing message. So though you might have a lot of bodies in seats, you don't really have deep, authentic discipleship happening within a lot of those churches. And so first of all, you know, as you think about that church growth movement, is that authentic gospel ministry the way that the scripture really lays it out for us? I don't think so. Uh, I'm not saying that people aren't being saved there. I'm not saying that, you know, the, the pastors involved there are not saved themselves. I'm not saying that at all. But is that authentic to what the Bible teaches about a real, true gospel ministry? I don't think so. I think we're going to see in the text today that that doesn't really fit the bill. The other, the other movement that I want to highlight is, you know, this kind of emotional hype movement, okay? It's, it's the idea that, you know, we all come together, we, we pack a big church full of people, and there's very emotional music and emotional things happening. It's high energy. There's eloquent speakers. There's lights. There's fog machines. There's all of those things, and they're all meant to stir people up to this place where they, they come forward, and then strange things happen to them, and they have, you know, a greater impact on the kingdom of God as a result. Is, th- is that authentic gospel ministry? You know, do we need to pack out a building and have a lot of emotional hype for God to meet people and for God to change lives and for people to be saved? I don't think so. I think that falls short. Another, another movement today would be the social gospel movement. Uh, the social go- gospel movement, it often has a very strong focus on important issues. Okay, important issues like social justice, housing initiatives, food banks, and all of these sort of things. These things are important issues in our world today, aren't they? They're issues that we should be concerned with as Christians. But here's the problem with the social gospel movement. Though it specializes in those things and pushes those things, which are all great things, by the way, but the social gospel movement often neglects the weightier matter of the gospel itself, the words of life and salvation. They neglect gospel preaching. They do a lot of good works, but without a message to support those good works. Now, is that an authentic gospel movement? I don't think so. And so we look at all these different, you know, strategies and ways of doing church, and we think about all of these different things, and we're kind of like, well, which one is the right one? You know, I'm thankful, I'm really thankful that God hasn't left us on the dark, in the dark on this question. You know, he hasn't kind of just said, well, you know, try to figure out whichever one works and do whatever works in your context. He's actually made it really clear for us according to his word, and he's made it clear right here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Fortunately, we're not left to wonder what model we should follow. God has clearly laid it out right here in this passage. And in this passage, the Apostle Paul shares a beautiful example of authentic gospel ministry, what it looks like, how it moves forward, what the power behind that ministry is. Let me read this passage to you, and you just follow along in your own Bibles there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. For you yourselves know, brothers... That our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring out of error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts." For we never came to you, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, 
nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. We did not seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles in Christ. Catch this. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Isn't that an awesome picture for us? Isn't that an amazing picture of what authentic, true gospel ministry looks like? This morning as we unpack this, we're going to see some things laid out clearly of what gospel ministry is not, and we're going to see some things of what it really is meant to be. But before we do that, let's just take a minute to pray that the Lord would really press His Word deep into our hearts today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we come before You right now, Lord, um, just admitting our desperate need for You. God, We can look at these words, we can read these words, we can study these words, but in and of ourselves, we cannot fully put them into practice in the way that you desire, God, without your help. And so, God, we pray right now that you would move here among us through your Holy Spirit, that you would take the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, that you would pierce our hearts, that you would apply it to our lives, Lord, so that we would be faithful with the gospel in a dark generation. God, would you teach us what it means to be bold, bold for the gospel, yet gentle in Jesus Christ. God, would you help us to apply these truths, not to somebody else, not to our neighbor in another seat, but to our own lives, God. Would you come and do that? And God, we pray that as we go out from here, that we would go out with boldness and we would go out with love and compassion into a lost world and that the name of Jesus would be made great in that world. We pray this in your name. Amen. 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 And so this morning, as we, as we dig into this text, we're really going to see four things here this morning. There's a lot of other things that we could draw out of this passage, but four primary things out of this passage, four key ingredients for an authentic gospel ministry. Here's the first one right here. The first ingredient for an authentic gospel ministry, an authentic gospel witness is, first of all, persistently bold with the gospel in all seasons of life. Listen, we see that right here in verses 1 and 2. Notice what the apostle says here. He says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Okay, that simply means that when the gospel came to to Thessalonica, when it came to those people, that people believed, people were saved, people were moved by the gospel. It didn't come and do nothing. It came and brought life. It came with power. It came with authority. It came with the moving of the Holy Spirit, drawing people to salvation. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. You remember last week as Pastor Andy talked about the the first passage, the first chapter in this book, he talked about how how Paul and his friends were in Philippi and how they suffered tremendously for the gospel. They were beaten, they were treated unjustly, they were thrown into prison, and God delivered them through an incredible miracle. And he brought them out of that place, okay? But yet they had suffered so much. Now, now think about this for a second. Think about, you know, put yourself in the shoes of the Apostle Paul in that situation. You were just in jail. You were thinking that that night could be your last night. You'd been beaten, you'd been abused, you'd been treated unjustly, and you're released by a miracle. 
What would you do? What would I do when I walked out of that jail? I can tell you what I'd probably do. I would think, thank you, Lord. Now it's a really good time to go and take it easy for a bit. It's a really good time to kind of go underground with the gospel. Wouldn't you think that? Wouldn't you be like, whoa, maybe I was too bold back there. Maybe I pushed the boundary. Maybe I pushed the line too much. Maybe I should just ease up on this a little bit. But listen, that's not what the apostle Paul does. He doesn't ease up. They don't ease up when they are released from prison. They don't ease up as they go into Thessalonica. They go to Thessalonica with great boldness. Notice this in the text. Though they were shamefully treated at Philippi, they had boldness in their God to declare the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Draw the application for that for yourself. When you're in your workplace, when you're in your school, when you're in the university, when you're around your neighbors and you share something about Christ or something about being a Christian and you receive pushback on that or you receive the cold shoulder or you, know, you tell someone that you're a follower of Christ and conveniently your neighbor never looks at you anymore after that, right? You know, think about that. What is your natural response? My natural response is to get quieter, to say less, to, to go underground a little bit. That's not the biblical response. Do we see that here in this passage? It's not the biblical response. The response is to be bold. It's to stay the same in boldness. It's to be consistent in boldness. If anyone at any point in history had an opportunity and had a reason to go underground with their faith, it was Paul and his friends right here, but they didn't do that. They went to the next city with boldness. You know, this is a picture of what Jesus commanded to his 12 disciples when he sent them out. Do you remember that? I think it's in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus sends out the 12 disciples and he says, when you go into the towns and villages, when you come to a house, when you speak the word of the gospel, when when you tell them about who I am and why I've come, when you do that, if they receive you, stay with them. But if they don't receive you, then leave there and shake the dust off of your clothes and off of your sandals as a testimony against them. In other words, if you go to people with the gospel and they're not open, they're not receptive to it, okay, all right, I'm going to go over here then instead. That's exactly what Paul and his friends do here. They leave Philippi because of the opposition. They weren't running, fleeing from it. You know what? Our gospel witness here is over. It's ended. Let's move on. Let's go to the next place. They go to the next city and they proclaim Christ with great boldness. Man, don't you want to be more like that? I want to be more like that. I I go underground when I face opposition. I go underground when I get even the slightest pushback. I'm guilty of that. But, But not these guys. I can learn from that. I can learn to be bold even in the face of much conflict. That's a good word for me this morning. Listen, maybe you've had a hard week. Maybe you've received some of that pushback in your workplace. Maybe you've, you know, shared with a coworker over lunch or something about your faith in Jesus Christ. And maybe they've actually gone and told somebody else that you were trying to convert them, that you were, you know, doing things that shouldn't be done in a workplace. Maybe you've received a lot of pushback. And maybe the temptation right now is just to be silent, to shut up and not say anything. And hopefully they'll see something good in your life. That's not the answer. That's not the answer. The answer is boldness. It's boldness, but we need to be clear on what boldness looks like because there's kind of a lot of confusion around this today. We're going to see very clearly in this passage that boldness is not in your face boldness. It's not raw boldness. It is boldness in our God because the message is true, but it's also 
filled with gentleness and respect. This is a beautiful passage for us. If we get what Paul is saying here, we are going to see that Paul in this passage is as bold as a lion, yet he's at the same time as gentle as a lamb. Figure that one out. I want more of that in my life. So let's, let's keep digging into this here, okay? So firstly, we've got to see that we need to be persistently bold with the gospel in all seasons of life, even when we face opposition. But secondly, we need to notice this in this passage. Secondly, an authentic gospel witness is deeply concerned about the accuracy of the message. We see that very clearly right here in this text. Okay, I want you to look down right now at your Bible, verse 3. Let's look at verse 3 and the beginning of verse 4. Paul says this. He says, for our appeal, okay, the message, the, the, the appeal that they make to the people, what they share with them, does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, he says. Now, there's quite a few things we can pull out there, but the first thing that we need to pull out of that is that the message of the gospel, the message that Paul proclaims, the, the message that we proclaim today does not spring from error. It doesn't spring from error. Do we get this? Do we understand this? That this message, the gospel message, is not made up by men. Okay, some guys didn't sit down in a room and kind of have a brainstorm session and say, hey, I think this is a really good message that, you know, would probably be a great world religion one day. It didn't work that way. The message came from God himself. Okay, God gave the gospel in giving his son, Jesus Christ. It is a message from God. It is not a message that is filled with error. It is not a message filled with impurity. Actually, just during the break between services, had a really interesting conversation with uh, Greg, who leads our foundations class, and he shared a quote with me the other day, and it's uh, one, of the, one of the top New Testament skeptics and scholars out there. He's an avowed atheist, and he is quoted as saying that the textual variants in the New Testament in the manuscripts are insignificant. Well, what does that mean? This is an avowed atheist who's saying that the variance in the text of the New Testament doesn't make any difference. It's not a big deal. It doesn't change the message at all. Do you understand what he's saying? He's admitting that what we have here in the New Testament is actually reliable and accurate. It's not error. It is, he's not saying, I believe it, but he's saying, yeah, the, the words that you read, they're right on. Okay, they're right on to what the manuscripts say. Do we get that? Do we see how that connects to this message today? Okay, Our, what we believe in the gospel, what we believe about Jesus Christ, the message that we have received doesn't spring from error. It doesn't spring from impurity. Okay, the, the disciples didn't take the New Testament and alter it and shift it to fit their own agenda, as, as some religions would claim. That didn't happen, okay? The word of God is pure. The word of God is right. The word of God came from God himself and God protects that word, and God protects his gospel message. Praise God for that, church. Okay, praise God that the message that we have is truth. It's truth. And because it's truth, that is a foundation block for boldness, isn't it? Just make that connection for a second. How could Paul be so bold in the gospel? Paul could be so bold in the gospel because he knew it was true. He knew that if he didn't proclaim this gospel, that People would be lost for all of eternity, but if he did proclaim it, souls would be saved and God would be glorified. He knew that. He knew it was true. How awesome is that? 
So the message does not come from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. The message comes through the messenger. Notice verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, Paul's talking about the fact that he was entrusted as an apostle with the gospel. In fact, Jesus Christ revealed this gospel message to Paul himself on the Damascus road and then later. Now, now Paul walked with Jesus in the spiritual sense, but he didn't walk with Jesus in the physical sense. He wasn't one of the original 12, but, but he walked with Christ in relationship and Christ revealed the message to him and the message is reliable. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20. He speaks of this, he speaks of being entrusted with the gospel, and he says this. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Did you catch that? He says that that he is an ambassador of Christ. Make that connection. You, if you know Jesus Christ today, sitting in your seat right now, you, me, we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We have been commissioned by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We are his representatives here on this earth that are entrusted with a message that brings life to lost souls. And we are commissioned to go out, to share that message, to proclaim that message, and to live a life that backs up that message. Now, here's the reality. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are an ambassador. There's no question about it. You can't be like, well, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not really an ambassador. That, that option's left off the table. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are an ambassador. The only question is whether you're a good ambassador who follows, faithfully follows the commands of his king or whether you are an ambassador that is walking in their own direction against the commands of their king. We're ambassadors. The word of God says so. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We have been entrusted with the gospel message. We need to be concerned about the accuracy of this message as we speak it, as we share it into this dark generation. We need to be deeply concerned with that. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14, I think this verse will be up on the screen. Uh, 2 Timothy 1.14, Paul says to his young protege, Timothy, who is with him in Thessalonica, he says this, he says this to him, he says, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Now, some commentators have gone back and forth on what that good deposit exactly is, but most would agree that that good deposit is, in fact, the gospel message that has been entrusted to Paul, entrusted to Timothy, entrusted to you, and entrusted to me. Do you understand that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been entrusted with the message of the gospel. You've been entrusted with the pearl of great price. You have been entrusted with the truth that can change lives, that can save souls for all of eternity. You have been entrusted with that. Wow. Get that for a second. Think about that for a second. I should move you. You've been entrusted with the pearl of great price with the message that can save souls for all of eternity. God's a good investor. He doesn't make bad investments. He wants to call you today to a life of faithfulness in proclaiming and sharing that gospel through your life and through your words. That's his mission for you if you know him as Lord and Savior. But listen, we get 
kind of hung up here sometimes. We get confused here sometimes on, you know, what the gospel actually is. A lot of us have maybe grown up in church all our lives and we've heard the gospel repeatedly and we've heard it in a lot of different ways but would maybe still struggle to articulate what the gospel message actually is. I know I grew up in a church where we would hear the gospel preached every Sunday and we had uh, this, this group, this club called Awana and we'd memorize verses and we'd have sword drills and we'd have all these different things to remember what scripture was about and they would drill the gospel message into us and you know, I look back on that, there was times when I really liked Awana and there was times where I was just like, I don't want to go and we'd make a joke about it, we'd be like, I don't want to go and it was really funny to me when I was six um, and I kind of laugh at how, how dumb I was back then but, and still am right? Um, but, uh, but sometimes I didn't want to go, but I'm so thankful that my parents led me in that and helped me to remember these things so that I would know these truths and I would know them in my heart, okay? But let's, let's take a few minutes right now to really press down on what the gospel is. Listen, we've got to make a distinction here, okay? We've got to get this. This is crucial for us as believers. We have to have a distinction between the gospel itself on one hand, okay, the gospel message, gospel truths, gospel doctrine, whatever you want to say, just gospel, and gospel living, the results of the gospel, gospel implications. We've got to make a distinction between those things. They're connected, but they're not the same. Do we understand that? Just do me a favor, nod, okay? If you don't, wave your hand up and down, okay? And, okay, I saw more nodding than waving, so we're going to keep going. Okay, let's bring up that spear uh, picture onto the screen. Here's, here's how we're going to do it. We're going to talk about it in this way. We're going to think of a spear, okay? A spear is a good illustration. I take this illustration from a pastor in, uh, in uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, his name is Mark Dever, and he uses this illustration to explain the gospel-oriented mission of the church. I think it's really helpful for us as we begin to look at what is the difference between the gospel message, the truth of the gospel, and the gospel implications for our lives. Mark Dever says it this way. He says, uh, the mission of the church is a focused mission. It's like a spear, but it gets wider. Okay, let me just say that again for you since it's not on the screen. The mission of the church is a focused mission. It's like a spear at the point, at the tip, but then it gets wider as it goes down. Okay, I want us to think about this for a second. We're going to break this down just a little bit because it's important for us to remember these things, okay? First of all, when we think about the gospel and gospel implications, we need to think first and foremost about the gospel message, the truth of the gospel. And that is the gospel message. I'm saying that over and over again so we won't miss it, okay? It is the gospel message that actually saves souls. Do we get that? Okay, we're going to unpack that. Okay, but there's a bunch of gospel implications that we can talk about that are really important, but they don't save souls. They're the result of being saved by the gospel message, okay? So the gospel is the, the tip, it's the point of the spear. Also, the gospel is the focal point of the church, okay? It is the most important thing. The gospel is the cutting edge of Christianity, it's the tip of the spear. It's the point of the spear. It is what pierces hearts and saves souls for all of eternity. It's the gospel message that does that. Listen, it's not gospel good works that save souls for all of eternity. That might create an opportunity for people to hear about the gospel, but that is not the gospel themselves. So let's make this distinction between gospel and implication. 
Okay, there's a whole bunch of verses up on the screen. Um, feel free to jot these down or take a picture if you'd like, if you'd like to dig into this a little bit further. Okay, let's look at a few of these verses. The gospel, the gospel itself. I think one of the best summaries of the gospel in Scripture is given for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. And if you were paying attention during our time of worship, you would have heard Pastor David already read this verse. We want to emphasize this verse. This is a great summary of the gospel. So when somebody comes to you and they say, what's the gospel? Okay, you know, you talk about this gospel a lot, but what is it? Okay, can you just tell me, can you just show me this is a great spot to go? Okay, so you can underline that one, you can highlight that one, you can whatever in your Bible. Okay, this is a great spot to go. I want you to notice what it says. It's the Apostle Paul writing this again. Paul says this. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance. Don't miss that. What was most important to Paul? What was of first importance to Paul? When Paul went on his missionary journeys, what did he first do? Did he go in and, and try to do a bunch of social good works and to do a bunch of different things and, you know, establish healthcare in a community and feed everybody? No, he didn't. He went in and he, of first importance, preached the gospel. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here it is. Here's the message right here that he declared as first importance that Christ died. That's point number one in the gospel. Okay, that Christ died for our sins. Okay, we are sinners who are separated from God. We are born in sin, and as, you know, as good as we are in some ways, we're guilty in so many other ways. God's standard is infinitely higher than ours, and, and we fall short every single time. But Christ died. Christ died for our sins, he says, in accordance with the Scriptures. Notice that, that the gospel is according to the Word of God. The Word of God proceeds from God and is therefore truth. Okay, that's, that's important. Don't let anybody try to talk you down on the Bible and say, you know, you ever hear somebody who says, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't really believe that you can take everything in the Bible seriously. Have we, have we heard that? Only a few of us? We don't listen to the news a lot then maybe, okay? Yeah, it's out there, okay? A lot of people today will say, oh, oh I'm a Christian. I, I love Jesus, but, but you can't really take all the Bible seriously. You don't take the Bible seriously, do you? Isn't that inconsistent? According to this passage, according to this verse, isn't that just totally, you know, wrong? Listen to what he says. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Okay, this is most important. That Christ died for our sins and that accords with Scripture. It's backed up by Scripture. If we don't have Scripture, we don't have the message of the gospel. If we don't have the gospel, we might as well go home. Right? Okay, it's most important. It's important more than anything else. Okay? That Christ died in accordance with the scriptures, and then here's the third point, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third days, and Paul says it again, in accordance with the scriptures. There's the gospel message. Notice those four things, okay? Our sins, we are guilty before God, okay? But God in his love sends Christ who dies in our place, okay? Christ really died. He was buried. He was buried for three days, but then he was raised again on the third day. How awesome is that? We don't serve a dead religious leader today. We serve the living King of kings and the Lord of lords who has triumphed over the grave, who has triumphed over death, who has triumphed over our sins. How awesome is that, church? Amen. Who else can say that? What other world religion can say, yeah, yeah, our, our chief prophet is alive today and he sits at the right hand of God Almighty and he makes intercession for us. Nobody else can say that. 
okay? That is what Jesus Christ does. That is the gospel. That's a great gospel verse, but listen, here's another great gospel verse. John 3, 16 and 17. I think it just says 16 on the screen. It should be 16 and 17. How many of us know this verse? Okay, how many of us have memorized John 3, 16? Okay, some of us, but we're a little shy about it, okay? Um, I memorized this, and I memorized it when I was a kid in Awana Club, and I memorized it in the King James. And then when I was in Bible college, I memorized it again in the NIV, and then I've tried to memorize it in the ESV, and so now when, every time I try to say it, it comes out like half King James, a quarter NIV, a quarter ESV, and a quarter something else. I end up adding all these extra words to it, just in, you know, just in case you were counting my quarters there that I had too many, okay? Um, yeah, because I just, I get all mixed up. So I'm just going to read it to us, all right? That's effective right now, okay? John 3, 16 and 17, this is the gospel. This is the gospel message that saves souls for all of eternity. Get this. For God so loved the world. Just think on that point for a second. For God so loved the world. God so loved not the earth, but the world, the people within that world. The people in the world who are waging rebellion against him, who are committing cosmic treason every single day in their sin against a holy God. And that includes me. God so loved the world. That could be like a sermon series right there, right? God so loved the world. Notice what he did, that he gave his only son. That whoever, anyone, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's gospel. That is the gospel. That is the gospel message that saves souls right there. Don't confuse it. Don't dilute it. Don't push it off to the side. Focus on it. It is glorious and beautiful. There's another great gospel verse right here. There's lots up on the screen, but let me share this one. Romans 6.23, it's another very compact gospel verse. It says this, for the wages of sin is death. Okay, that's for all of us. The wages of sin is death. We are all guilty before a holy God, and therefore we deserve eternal death, eternal punishment because of that guilt. Yet, the verse doesn't end there. That's the bad news of the gospel, but it's followed right away by the good news of the gospel. Check this out. But the free gift of God, how much does it cost? It's free. It's the free gift of God. It's the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the gospel. Listen, if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you're here today and you know, you're just kind of doing this church thing and you're trying to figure things out as you go, you're trying to live a better life, do better things and make better choices, that's great. We're glad you're here. But, but, but hear this, that won't save you. I will never, ever, ever, ever make you right with a holy God. The only way to be right with a holy God is through faith in Jesus Christ. It's through repenting of your sins, turning from them, and putting your faith in the one who died in your place on that cross. And so if you're here and you're trying to do all these things to earn God's favor, listen, you've already got God's favor. It's found in Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him. Put your trust in him. Believe in him. Repent of your sin. Receive him as your Lord, and you can be saved today. That's the awesome reality. And that's it. That's the gospel message. That is the focal point. That is the tip of the spear. That is the point that pierces hearts and saves souls for all of eternity, and we can't forget it, church. If we step away from that gospel, if we confuse that gospel at all, we'll be accountable before God. We need to remember that. We need to focus on that. But listen, 
just as a spear comes with a point and the rest of it. There's a lot of gospel implications that are attached to the gospel. They are not the gospel themselves, but they are connected to the gospel. They are the results of the gospel. They are the parts of Christian living that come as a result of the gospel taking root in your own personal life. We need to talk about those too. See, the gospel, when you believe in the gospel, when you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it begins to change you. It begins to change everything. It begins to change the way you you think, the way that you act, the way that you interact with others. Now, listen to some of these gospel implications. Now, I'm not saying that these are less important. I'm not saying that these aren't important. They're vastly important. Just think about this for a second. Imagine you had a spear that only had like a centimeter of a point on it. It was just a little tiny piece of the tip. That was your spear. Would you go into battle with that thing? No way. Okay, you need the whole spear, right? Okay, you need the whole thing to go into battle. And so we've got to think about the implications of the gospel. They're massively important. But let's be super clear. They are not the gospel message that saves souls. They're the result of being saved by the gospel. Here's a few gospel implications. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's a fruit of the gospel. That's an implication of the gospel. That is a hard implication of the gospel. Anyone agree with me on that? That is one that we need to wrestle with. Okay, look at what it says, or listen to what it says. It says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. How has God forgiven you in Jesus Christ? He's forgiven you fully. He's forgiven you completely. He's not going to dredge up your sin and bring it to the forefront and put it in your face. Okay, he has fully restored everything that was broken as if it never even happened. That's how fully. Wow, God help us with that. Okay, this is an implication of the gospel. Here's another one right here. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, so when someone's struggling, as believers, because our lives have been changed by the gospel, we should come alongside them and support them and care for them and do everything that we can to help them through that time. That's what our small groups here in this church are all about. That's what our ministries are are about. We want to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law, the, the rule of Jesus Christ, okay? So do what Jesus Christ himself did. That's an implication of the gospel. But now catch this one. James 1.27, okay, this is, you know, where the social gospel gets off the rails. They get off the rails because of verses like this one. They try to take the gospel implication and make it the gospel message. That's incorrect. But James 1.27 has a great uh, application for us. Listen to what it says, James 1.27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now listen, that is not the gospel message. Visiting widows and orphans will not save them. Are we clear on that? But it is directly connected to the gospel. It is a necessary result of the gospel. When we are saved in Jesus Christ, we will have a desire to go out to love and to care for the widows, the orphans, the underprivileged, those who have been treated unjustly in our society and around the world. That is a result of the gospel. But don't confuse it with the gospel message. And so here's the application here. 
In your conversation, in my conversation with other people, do we spend more time, when we are sharing Christ with some, someone, do we spend more time talking about what God has done in our lives and how God has changed us, or more time talking about Jesus Christ and what He did for us on the cross? That's an important question. If we spend more time talking about what God has done in us, we could mislead people. We could confuse the gospel. We could mislead them to think, oh, wow, I've really got to be a good person like they are before I can have a right relationship with God. Do we understand that? We need to be deeply concerned about the accuracy of the message. I can think of times when I blew the gospel by sharing way too much about what God was doing in me and not nearly enough about what Jesus Christ has done in my place. I'm not saying don't share about what God has done in you, but get to the rest, get to the heart of the gospel where you share what Christ has actually accomplished and invite somebody to have the opportunity to put their faith and trust in Christ. Listen, we can't lose the tip of the spear. If we try to take the spear into battle backwards, it will never, ever work. If we go with all the implications of the gospel, but without the point of the gospel, we will miss the mark every time. But if we go, if we go focused on the point of the gospel that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. If we go in that way and we bring all the implications with it, God will use that in glorious ways for his name and for his kingdom. Listen, church, let's not get confused on this. God has entrusted us with the gospel. It's an important, it's a serious thing. That's a glorious thing, isn't it? Think about it for a second. You have been entrusted with the gospel. You're called to protect the accuracy of the message in the way that you communicate it, in the way that you live it. Let's not drop the ball on that one. That's the second thing. Let's see the third thing and the fourth thing, and I promise you they're going to move a lot quicker after this, okay? Don't worry, we're not going to be here for like an hour and a half, okay? We're moving, okay? Third thing in the passage, here it is. Thirdly, we see this. An authentic gospel witness is consumed with desire to please God more than people, okay? It's consumed with a desire to please God more than people. Well, where do we see that in the text? Right here in the middle of verse 4. Let's pick it up there, verse 4 through 6, okay? Partway through, it says, So we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, mark that, as you know, nor with the pretext for greed, okay? God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles in Christ. I want you to notice a few things here. Paul points out several things that are not in line with the gospel. He points out several attitudes and actions and ways of doing ministry that are not authentic. Now, we talked about a lot of ways that are inauthentic at the beginning of this message. I want you to just think of those, okay, as we see these different things come up on the screen. But first, think about this. An authentic gospel witness always values faithfulness over fruitfulness. An authentic gospel witness always values faithfulness over fruitfulness and gospel transformation over behavior modification. That's a huge difference. Okay, am I just trying to do better and get better, or has my life actually been transformed by Jesus Christ from the inside out? A gospel, a true gospel witness, always seeks to give the glory to God and never to give the glory to people. Now let's see this, okay? Here's a few things right here, okay? An authentic gospel witness doesn't use, let's, let's bring that list up, there we go. An authentic gospel witness doesn't use deceitful techniques, okay? We don't do that. 
We're not gonna use deceitful techniques. We're not gonna engage in the bait and switch technique that is so common today. Okay, the bait and switch technique is basically, hey, neighbor, hey, friend, you have a pretty good life and you're a pretty good person, but you know what? There's really something missing and there's a hole in your heart and if you just come to Jesus, it'll all get better. Who's ever heard that message before? Okay, not many of us. Good, okay, we're not doing that. I have a feeling you're lying at this point, okay? <laughs> We've heard that. We've heard, you know, your life's pretty good, but there's something missing, and the thing that's missing is Jesus. Well, that's a partial truth, okay? As soon as you tag on, your life is going to get better after you come to Jesus. <clears throat> Maybe it's not. Okay? It becomes untrue at that moment. That's a bait-and-switch technique. Here's another bait-and-switch technique that seems to happen around this time of the year. Okay? You decide you're going to have a big Super Bowl party at your house, and you're going to invite a bunch of guys. And at the halftime, you're going to turn it off, and you're going to get up and share the gospel with them out of surprise. Okay? So you tell all your friends, hey, invite all your buddies. Come on over. We're going to have a great party. Okay? Leave all, all that other stuff that you would do at most Super Bowl parties at home, because this one will be a little bit different. And they come in, and they sit down, and they're totally unaware, and they're eating their buffalo nacho chips and all that kind of stuff. And you just drop it on them at halftime. And they walk out feeling like, man, I got ripped off. Like, what was that? That's a bait and switch technique. I'm not saying don't have a Super Bowl party where you share Christ with people. All that I'm saying is front load it. Hey, you want to come to a different type of Super Bowl party this year? You might come in to watch a game and you might walk out with eternal life. Wouldn't that be cool? You're nuts. Yeah, I know, but why don't you come anyway and we'll tell you more. Okay? Right? Give them, give them an idea where it's going. Front load it. Tell them about it at the front. And don't bait and switch, okay? No deceitful techniques. All right, the second one here. Flattery. Flattery. Listen, we don't need to try and make people feel good about themselves before we share the gospel with them. Do we get that? I'm not saying that you should intentionally make them feel terrible about themselves. I'm just saying you don't need to boost their self-esteem so that they will be more receptive to the message. Okay, so you don't need to sit down with your neighbor and say, oh, you're such a good person, you're such a wonderful person, and build them up for six or seven months before you actually share that they're a sinner and they need a savior. Because if they've been listening to you for six or seven months, they're going to be like, I thought you told me I was a good person. I am a pretty good person and I don't need a savior. Okay, that's how that conversation goes. We don't need flattery. Okay, that has no part in authentic gospel witness. The third one, money-making schemes. Praise God, we don't see this one around that often. Um, Money-making schemes. Well, I guess we do. It seems that the televangelists kind of have a corner market on this one, don't they? Okay, the money-making schemes. So um, we see that in our culture in that way. So if you see somebody on TV who says that they have an authentic piece of Jesus's cross, and if you send in a big donation, they'll send it to you and you can receive the power from it. Don't believe it, okay? Or if you see somebody on TV who says that they have holy water that will wash your sins away, don't buy it, okay? That's a money-making scheme. It's not authentic. It is not in accord with the authentic gospel. And you're like, really? Yeah, really, okay? Listen, but this isn't new, okay? This was something that was common in Paul's day. That's why he talks about it, okay? But it also has been there through the whole history of the church. In fact, this was really what drove Martin Luther to the brink just before the Reformation, Did you know that in the town of Wittenberg at that time, just before the Reformation, there was a Dominican friar named Johann Tetzel 
who came into the, the town and he would go from village to village with all this pomp and ceremony and he would come uh, with a whole processional and with the emblem of the Pope and he would come into the town and he would stick that thing in the ground and he would set up shop there and he would sell indulgences in that town. Now, what indulgences are is they are the forgiveness for sins, okay? It's not real, okay? It was under the authority of the Roman Catholic Church, so the Roman Catholic Church said that, that these indulgences had the power to forgive sins. Where they got that from, I don't know. Somebody made it up, okay? It's not real, though. Um, and so, so he came in to town, and he set up shot where Martin Luther was, okay? And he began to proclaim this message, and the message was, don't you feel bad about your friends in, in hell or purgatory? Don't you wish that you could do something for them? Well, here's what you need to do. You need to give money, and if you give money, they will be forgiven. And he had a little slogan. He was pretty crafty. He was a good salesman, and he would say, every time a coin in the coffer rings, another soul from purgatory springs. What a salesman. And here's the part of the message that nobody was told during that time. All of the money that was raised from these indulgences was actually sent back to Rome and was being used to build the new basilica. The Pope had allowed the selling of indulgences, which he had previously outlawed, in order to build an empire for himself in Rome. Money-making scheme. Well, this drove Martin Luther mad. Martin Luther, in a really good way, wrote up these 95 theses, and he went to the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral, and he posted it there, and it sparked the Reformation, where the gospel became glorious in the eyes of the people, where the gospel message was proclaimed again. Praise God for that. In our generation, where the gospel light seems to be flickering at times, don't lose faith in the God of the gospel. He will make it shine again in the darkness. Praise God for that. Trust him. Believe in him for that. Listen, we don't use deceitful techniques. We don't use flattery. We don't use money-making schemes. We don't give in to people-pleasing. Paul says this right here in this passage. We don't give in to people-pleasing. We don't try to tell people what they want to hear so that we will gain a following, a greater following. We tell people the truth of God and we trust God for the result. As commissioned disciples of Jesus Christ, we seek to please God above people first and foremost. We are more concerned with what God thinks than with what others think. Finally, here's the last thing that we need to see in this passage right now. An authentic gospel witness is patient and compassionate in their approach towards others. We said at the beginning of this message that Paul was as bold as a lion, but now at the end we see Paul being as gentle as a lamb. Notice what he says right here. He says this in verse 7, but we were gentle among you. Sense the tenderness in these words. Okay, the Apostle Paul, we so often think of him as, raw. get the tenderness here. But we were gentle among you. Like a nursing mother, a beautiful picture, taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous for you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, that would have been enough, but also ourselves. We were ready to give you our own lives because you had become very dear to us. Don't you just get a sense of the compassion of Paul, the love that Paul had, the authenticity of that man. Don't you just long for more of that in your own life? I do. I, I honestly don't get this full balance between boldness and compassion and gentleness, but I see it in the Apostle Paul. I see it in the Apostle Paul, but even greater than in the Apostle Paul, I see it in Jesus Christ. Don't you see it in Christ? 
He was bold to proclaim the word of God. He was bold to preach against injustice. Yet he was meek, he was humble, he was gentle, and he was compassionate to the weak and to the lost. What a beautiful picture. Listen, Paul was able to live in this way. We are able to live in this way as we look to Jesus Christ, who is the perfection of all of these things. So let's keep looking to him. Let's keep our eyes on Christ, who is the gospel. Let's trust him for that. Let's lean on him for that. Notice the words that he uses here. Paul was gentle. He was gentle. The illustration, he was like a nursing mother. What an amazing picture of compassion. Just think of how patient a nursing mother is with a child. Think of how patient a mother with a toddler is. Wow, okay? Just think about about that. Think about the compassion, the kindness that is there. That is what should characterize us. They were willing to give themselves. Not only did they go out and preach the word of God, That would be enough. They proclaimed the message, but they shared their own lives. They invited people in. They invited people to share in life and walk with them in their life so that they could see what it looked like to see Jesus Christ lived out every single day. Yes, Paul was as bold as a lion, but he was as gentle as a lamb. Don't forget about gentleness. Don't forget about tenderness. Don't forget about compassion. I think sometimes we can get so focused on boldness. Boldness is essential. It says it right here in this passage. But don't forget about the gentleness. A great verse to remind us of this is 1 Peter 3.15. Let's bring that verse up on the screen. 1 Peter 3.15. I think we're familiar with this first part of the verse. Okay? Notice what it says. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense To anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Who's heard that verse before? Hands up. Okay? As knowledgeable as we are about the first part of that verse, we are oblivious about the second part of that verse. I'm just going to be honest with you. Okay? So many hands went up when, when I said, who's heard that verse before? We've heard it. We've heard that we need to be bold, that we need to be ready to make a defense. Whenever anyone comes to us, whenever anybody shows up at our door, we've got to be ready to make a defense for the reason, for the hope that is in us. That is good. That is right. As knowledgeable as we are about that part, we are oblivious and we miss the second part. Is there anybody who knows how this verse ends? Probably not, because to be honest, my, I myself have quoted this verse several times and left off the ending. But honestly, the ending of this verse is the best part of it. Let's put that up on the screen now. Notice it. Be ready to make a defense for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Why? Because if you don't, if you don't do it with gentleness and respect, you take away from the gospel message. The message that you proclaim becomes somewhat inauthentic through your actions and through my actions. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. To be honest with you today, these things have honestly been massively convicting me. I see things in my life that I'm just like, wow, that doesn't line up with what I read here. That doesn't line up with that. And I've been asking the Lord to search my heart. I've been asking the Lord to to cleanse me, to change me from these things. Listen, this isn't easy. If it was easy to be bold and to be gentle at the same time, everybody in the Christian church would be doing it. It's hard. It's hard. It takes the grace of Jesus Christ in your life. But it's what Christ calls us to. It's what Christ commands of us, to be bold for his glory, yet gentle and compassionate at the same time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful 
that you have given us your word, which is so clear. God, we're so thankful that you have shared with us the glorious gospel message which saves souls. But then you've also shown us how that gospel is lived out, how it plays out in our lives, and what it changes in our world and in each of our own lives. God, we pray that you would press that deep into us, Lord. Would you help us to truly love the gospel more than we currently do? God, would you help us to guard the good deposit that has been given to us, Lord? Not not to give in to deceitful techniques, Lord. Not to uh, try to earn a hearing by flattery or any of those things. But God, would you make us bold for Jesus Christ? But would you also help us to be gentle, to be compassionate, to be gracious and merciful as you have been gracious and merciful with us? Lord, would you teach us what that looks like? God, would you teach me what that looks like? Lead us in it, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ and for the glory of Jesus Christ, amen.